0: Welcome to King's River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. Now, this episode features the mystery short story, Not a Penny More, by John Land. It's read by local actor Larry Maddox. Not a Penny More was published in The Strand Magazine a few years ago. You know, if you'd like to help support this podcast, we'll have details for you at the end of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks.
1: $3,000, Walter
0: Schnitzel said,
1: standing over the 1999 Toyota Camry. Not a penny more. Joe, of Big Joe's Auto Sales, ran a hand through his beard stubble with the texture of porcupine quills and pulled a half-smoked stogie from his lapel pocket. He wore a white t-shirt, matted with coffee and grease stains, and had a belly that flopped well over his belt. What if we could do better than this? bucket of bowls? He asked in a gravelly voice, poking the air with the unlit cigar. See, brother, I don't sell cars, I sell dreams. And I think I got the perfect one for you, right this way. Grudgingly, Walter followed Joe around back past a repair bay where a clipboard-toting mechanic was calculating the value of his 1991 Centra. They squeezed through a break in the fence, enclosing a rear lot full of junks and jalopies destined for the scrap heap, and stopped before a car Walter recognized as a Buick Electra, colored a faded shade of lime green peppered with rust. The wire-like hubcaps were bent, the tires bald. The hood ornament broken off at the stem, and the windshield featured a lightning bolt crack down its center. Joe tapped the Electra's roof tenderly. Sure, she may not look like much, but this baby's got one accessory no other car's got. What's that? Joe smirked. What are you looking for? A car. I mean, really. Really? Come on, brother. I can see it in your eyes. See what? What you need. What you are missing? Can't put a price tag on that if it costs you a penny more or not. Joe slapped a fleshy arm over his shoulder and Walter smelled something that was a cross between stale onions and scorched metal. Tell you what. Take it for the weekend and see for yourself. Joe dangled a set of keys before him. Come on, Walt, what you got to lose? The Electra clattered, clinked, and clanked off the lot. It shocks so worn the car bucked like a Bronco all the way to Walter's apartment parking lot. He collected his mail from the downstairs mailbox and sorted it once he was back inside an apartment that had not changed one bit in a decade. Wedged in among the junk mail and bills was a letter from his cable company. Walter tore it open and found a typewritten letter inside apologizing for a series of overcharges over several years. In his case, 20. His enclosed refund check was for $1,245.72. The equivalent of nearly two weeks pay at the accounting firm where he toiled in a cubicle amid younger men whose faces were still bright with ambition. He watched them come and go from those cubicles, rising to actual office spaces on the next floor, where the bathrooms were spiffy and scented with something other than urinal cakes. How Walter had dreamed of taking a piss "'without the harsh, antiseptic smell wafting upward. "'But tonight, he was still reveling over his newfound windfall "'when he settled into his usual seat at his local diner's counter "'at six o'clock sharp, about to dig into the side salad "'that came free with the meatloaf special, "'when a woman's distraught voice grabbed his attention. "'I must have lost my wallet!' I'll
2: come back tomorrow to pay, I promise.
1: The woman was blonde and beautiful, the kind Walter only knew from television and had never spoken to in his life, not even once. Near tears, she continued to rake through her handbag, coming up empty before the diner's unforgiving owner. Recalling how fortune had smiled on him, Walter hopped down off his stool. How much do you need? He asked the woman when he reached the cash register, stretching a hand into his pocket. I couldn't possibly, she started. I insist, Walter said, coming out with a 20.
2: You're the nicest guy I've met in a long time,
1: the woman told him.
2: I'm Tammy. How about I join you?
1: Tammy joined him for coffee. And Walter was so taken with her he barely remembered wolfing down the meatloaf special, his Friday night staple. The plate was full, and then it was empty. The conversation that passed in between more important than the mashed potatoes and green beans. Tammy did most of the talking about her struggles in becoming a fashion model, being too short to land the best and biggest gigs. Walter hung on every word describing her at times' glamorous lifestyle. She'd been to places he knew only from the travel channel. But Tammy kept getting text messages that left her increasingly on edge until she turned her phone off altogether.
2: Boyfriend problems,
1: she said. She touched Walter's arm, then squeezed it.
2: I can't let him find me. You think I could hang at your place for a while?
1: Walter set Tammy up on the pull-out couch in the living room of his simple apartment. It started to rain after they both retired, and Walter suddenly felt the covers rustle as Tammy climbed into bed with him, trembling. They always scare me, she said, voice cracking.
2: Storms, I mean.
1: Walter realized he was trembling, too. Speechless, as Tammy snuggled up against him.
2: When I was a little girl, I woke up in the middle of one, but I couldn't get my doors open. I remember screaming and screaming until my parents finally came. It felt like it took forever.
1: Walter felt her hug him tight, then tighter, easing her hand through his thinning hair, still slick with brill cream. He thought he was dreaming, actually pinched himself to make sure he wasn't. He felt it happening, saw it happening, as Tammy eased him around and kissed him, and Walter Schnitzel's mind exploded in a rainbow of colors with lights flashing everywhere and something surging through him that felt like electricity, left him numb when it was over and they fell asleep in each other's arms to the sound of what Walter thought was an old horn struggling to honk. Walter awoke to a Pounding on his apartment door and rushed to it before it woke Tammy as well. Opened it to find a big man in a tight shirt glaring at him. I'm Frank, the bitch's boyfriend. She's still in there? Frank started to push his way past Walter, who stood his ground, flinching and jamming a hand instinctively outward. His hand struck the door and sent it flying backward into Frank's face leaving him dazed enough for Walter to punch him square in the nose. Impact sent a shower of blood cascading out both of Frank's nostrils as Walter slammed the door, trying to shake the pain from his hand.
2: My hero,
1: Tammy said from behind him, moving in to hug him tight. Walter drove her to the airport in the old Electra and walked her as far as the security area would allow, where... She kissed him tightly.
2: I'm back from Europe in three
1: weeks, she said, tucking her cell phone number into his jacket pocket. Call me. Tammy kissed him again and ruffled a hand through his hair. Sticky, she giggled, licking the Brill Cream from her fingertips. But sweet. Then she backed away slowly the boots, worn over jeans etched perfectly to her body, clacking against the tile. Walter tried to say, I'll call you, but only air emerged over the lump in his throat. He stood there until she was through security and down the concourse, then steeled himself with a deep breath as he turned and started off. Everything around him looked different. The women. Not as beautiful as his Tammy. The men no longer seeming bigger and smarter and better in every way than he. Walter caught his reflection in a glass wall, not turning from the sight for a change, but at the same noticing his clothes looked rumpled and frayed. Tammy's cell phone number tucked in his pocket, he used some of his cable refund to buy some new clothes for the first time in years. He looked at himself in the dressing room mirror and barely recognized the man who looked back. The same Walmart had a sale on contact lenses, and he decided to give them a try, too. What do you think? The technician asked, holding up a mirror. Nice change, right? Walter smiled, thinking instead of the Electra, parked closer to the Walmart entrance than he'd ever gotten before. He went to the movies that night, forking over the full $12.50 instead of the $6 for a bargain matinee. And for once, he didn't slump in his seat, uncomfortable in his aloneness, because in three weeks, Tammy would be back, maybe sitting in the seat next to him. Or maybe he'd take her to the kind of restaurant he'd never think of splurging on for himself. A restaurant that didn't advertise old-fashioned blue plate specials and didn't serve meatloaf every Friday. Walter wondered what she'd think of him in his new clothes, his new look minus the glasses. He looked up to find the credits rolling and realized... He daydreamed his way through the last few minutes of the movie. Walter took a walk the next day, noticing things he hadn't noticed in a long time, maybe never. The world seemed different to him. Well, smaller. Not so big as if ready to swallow him at any moment. He looked at the things he normally passed without paying any regard. The intermediate stops between points A and B. He realized his life had been about nothing but those points. The Tammies of the world left in a middle he paid no heed. But that middle had also held the bullies, who'd made fun of him in junior high and shoved him against lockers in high school. Normally, he'd see them in the faces of the men he passed and look away. Today, he didn't see them at all, and met gazes that flashed back at him with a smile or a friendly tilt. Walter Schnitzel, he imagined saying as he shook their hands. Pleasure to meet you. Then, taking the vision a step further. And this is my girlfriend, he'd grin, watching their mouths drop. Tammy. Walter went for a ride later Sunday, just because he could, the world looking altogether different to him through the Electra's dust-encased windows. He remembered how Big Joe had looked at him, eyes twinkling as he dangled the keys. What you need. What you missing? Can't put a price tag on that, whether it costs you a penny more or not. Walter patted the faded dashboard tenderly, something shaking on the car's underside. It had a bad list to the right that forced him to keep overcompensating the wheel to the left, occasionally veering into the neighboring lane and drawing an angry toot. The electric sputtered, and Walter cut his speed further, settling into an easy pace that left him ignorant of angry drivers passing him on the left until police lights lit up in his rearview mirror. Walter who'd never even gotten a parking ticket in his life, pulled over and turned off the key, the sputtery engine kicking to life for a few seconds afterwards. License and registration, please, the cop asked him, after Walter cranked down the manual window. Well, what's wrong, officer? Walter asked, handing them over. I wasn't speeding, was I? Speeding! Speeding! <laughs> The cop snickered as he checked the documents. I pulled you over because you were going too slow. Holding up traffic. I'll let you off with a warning this time. He stepped back and he looked the Electra over, shaking his head. So long as you get this heap into the shop. It's just a test drive, Walter told him. The cop gave the Electra one last look. Good thing. Walter eased the elector on to the on-ramp for the freeway, feeling the big car tremble as he gave it gas. It was shaking by the time he hit 50, thumping and backfiring as the needle flirted with 60, dropped down, then settled. He tried to work the cruise control, but the car was hearing none of that. Keeping the car in his lane became a constant working of the wheel left, right, and back again. But Walter didn't care. He opened his window all the way and propped his elbow on the sill, feeling the wind rustle through his frill cream-rich hair. He took a deep breath and gave the car more gas, the needle edging up.
2: Sixty-five, seventy.
1: His seat shaking so much, his head actually smacked the ceiling just short of the dome light. Seventy-five? Eighty? The car bucking now, squeaking and grinding in the front end, the hood trying to lift. Eighty-five! The Electra gave up there, something breaking loose on its underside, and Walter rode with his hands clenching the vibrating steering wheel. The breeze blew harder, the world jerking by before him. That world seemed not as big or as scary, and he felt his breathing steady, even as the car settled and quaked only slightly. Walter drove with one hand on the wheel again, in control, free of his cubicle and his meatloaf special and six-dollar matinee. The sun was warm, the breeze cool. All in all, Walter couldn't recall a more pleasant day. He realized he'd stopped checking the rear-view mirror, the hinge of which had rattled loose. But what was behind him didn't matter. All that mattered, Walter thought, as the car shimmied and shook, was what lay ahead. I'll take it, he said to Big Joe, first thing Monday morning, checkbook already in hand. How much? Your car plus I have... Let's say ten grand even. Walter stopped his pen halfway across the top check. Ten thousand? Not a penny more, Big Joe shrugged. Fresh coffee stains like ink blotches on his white t-shirt. He peeled the plastic from a stogie, stuck it in his mouth, and lit it. Can't put a price tag on luck now, can we? Walter held his gaze, then moved his eyes to the Electra. Is it magic? Beats me, brother. I only know it's not for everybody. Car came in the morning you showed up here for a reason. Man's son dropped it off after his dad died. A millionaire! But. He was flat busted the day he bought it from me in 2000. Just like you. Oh, I wasn't flat busted. Oh no? Big Joe wondered. As Walter wrote out a check for $10,000. Big Joe tossed Walter a wave as the Electra clambered off the lot, nearly bottoming out on its worn shocks. He lit his stogie. And puffed away until the old junker drifted out of sight, then moved back inside his office where the woman Walter Schnitzel knew as Tammy was waiting. We said five hundred, right, babe? Seven fifty, she corrected,
2: and a hundred for Frank, combat pay.
1: Oh, yeah, Joe said, counting out the bills and adding the cost of Walter Schnitzel's fake cable rebate in his mind. Tell me something, the woman said, stuffing the cash into her wallet.
2: Does anybody ever come back and not buy the
1: car? Big Joe winked at her. Cigar smoke, staining the air between them. I don't sell cars, babe. I sell dreams. So, you available next week?
0: If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com/slash Kings River Life. Become a patron and get some great perks. Even a dollar a month can make a difference. And we also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check the show notes for the link. You can also find the links there for Kings River Life. For more mystery podcast fun, check out the Poisoned Pen Bookstores podcast. Authors such as Diane Gabaldon, James Rollins, Michael Connolly, Janet Ivanovich, and Jacqueline Winspear are regular guests on the Poisoned Pen Bookstores podcast of conversations with authors. Go to poisonedpen.podbean.com to search for your favorite authors or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. This reading of Not a Penny More was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Hamm. Now you can learn more about this book and the author on his website johnlandbooks.com We'll be back next time with another mystery. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter to get special interviews with the authors of the podcast stories. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL. At Kings River Life. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it. This helps make us easier for others to find. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery.